Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Section K podcast. I'm Cody Headland, not your normal host, I understand. Caden is on a fishing trip with his father and our good friend Mike Wood from Combine, Texas. They're in Montana, getting into a little cooler weather, fishing up there in the beautiful big sky country. Our buddy CBL is also not here right now. He actually had to go to Missouri. CBL recently lost his grandfather, Mr. R.J. Cluck. Um, my condolences to the Cluck and the Larson family. Um, I did not know Mr. Cluck. However, I know he had one heck of a grandson. So, CBL's up in Missouri, tending to some family business, and uh, we look forward to having him on the next podcast. So, basically, it's just uh, me and Charlie B., I got to sit down at Brazos Valley Equine Hospitals this week, interviewed Mr. Charlie, actually, Dr. Charlie Buchanan. Um, he's also the co-owner of the Brazos Valley Stallion Station in Stephenville. I better not shortchange him on the doctor. He went to school for many years to get that title, so he's earned it. But Charlie is a, a superhero of vets, in my opinion. He has worked on my horses for over 10 years, and in that time we became more than just a vet-client relationship. Charlie is a friend, and I definitely enjoyed sitting down with Charlie, and and I've had talks like this with him before, and I know a lot about Charlie, but most people don't, and he's a very quiet man, and he usually just sticks to his southwest corner over there at Will Rogers in the veterinary lair, and he's there to work on anybody's horses that needs it and tend to his customers that are from out of town. And it was really, really an honor to get to interview Charlie and talk to him. Because like I said, he is a superstar of vets. He's worked on countless horses and got them sound enough to show right there in Will Rogers. And then the countless other horses that he's seen that us cutting horse people do not get to see. There's barrel racing horses, PRCA horses, and... And it was just cool to pick his brain about the business, the drug policy for the NCHA, uh, the Brazos Valley Stallion Station, and just the NCHA in general. So I hope you enjoy my chat with Dr. Charlie Buchanan. But first, you guys get to hear about some great sponsors that we have at the Section K podcast that keep this well-oiled machine running. Speaking of running, Running Horse Feeds matches the correct feed to the right stage of your horse's activity level, whether it's breeding, competition, pleasure, or retirement. Running Horse Feeds has the balanced nutrition necessary to help keep your horse in the best shape possible. The Running Horse Feeds and Treat Line are 100% extruded, which means the feed is actually cooked under pressure at high temperatures for a short period of time to make the feed more easily digested and make certain nutrients more available to the horse. The future of horse feed is here. Check out runninghorsefeeds.com to see more. Next, we have Equine Extreme Performance. EXP offers an all-natural, drug-free supplement built for the equine industry. They have built these products using cutting-edge technology to deliver the highest quality product available to you and your horse. How do they know it is right for your horse? Because EXP was designed by horsemen and they understand what your horse needs. 
EXP relates to every aspect of your business, especially the health of your horse. EXP was designed by Hall of Fame trainer Matt Miller, who has won over $3.4 million in the cutting pen. Make sure you visit expequine.com and enter Section K at checkout to receive 10% off your next EXP order. Remember, that's promo code Section K to receive 10% off for your next order at expequine.com. And last, but certainly not least, Brazos Valley Stallion Station. The roster of stallions at Brazos Valley Stallion Station, located in Stephenville, Texas, is shaping the performance horse world with its unique stallions representing the cutting, cow horse, roping, and barrel racing industries. The skill and experience of the entire staff and the one-of-a-kind facility provide a vital center to ensure your breeding success. For a complete listing of stallions and more information, visit BrazosValleyStallionStation.com. And now, Dr. Charlie Buchanan. Welcome to the Section K Podcast. Charlie, how's it going? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. We appreciate you, and we appreciate you being a sponsor of the podcast. Um, you bet. Y'all do an, an, an amazing service to the industry, and it's much appreciated, and we're happy to be a part of it. Well, thank you very much. Obviously, it's just Charlie and I. So, uh, Charlie, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, growing up in South Texas and how you became a vet. So, I guess the short version is I, I was born in, in Navasota, born and raised in Navasota, Texas, which is down by Houston. Uh, between Houston and College Station, and the short, basically, never really in, enter, entertained any other industry of job or any kind of work I would do except being a veterinarian. And as long as I can remember, that's all I wanted to be. Um, and it's it's pretty weird because my dad was a vet, and his goal in life was to have me not be a vet because I you know, I watched him work countless hours, and man, it was it was tough, and he wasn't around a lot. Um, building a business and the, the business that we've built is pretty amazing in my opinion um, the legacy that he's put into it is amazing um, and you know I don't work as bad hours as he did you know I only work like 12 hours a day instead of 18 hours a day uh, that's a joke by the way it's not really <laughs> that bad um, but I mean it, it, it's not work when you love what you do and yeah. that's what my dad's always said and I've never not wanted to be a vet and it's, it's worked out really well for me because I've got to put my career in a spot where basically all I do is sports medicine on Western horses. And, and that's what I enjoy. That's my passion. And it's pretty cool. Your dad, T-Bone, he started in Navasota. And uh, your brother, Ben, he is also a vet. Right. And he opened his own practice as well. well he runs the practice in Navasota. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then there's the Salado Brazos Valley Equine Hospital, and, yes. which is run by... Dr. John Janicek. And then you run the one here in Stephenville. Because I don't anymore. So Ricky Osterlo runs the one in Stephenville. I kind of supervise the rest of the stuff that goes on. So we, we have an interest that we own part of the Basbury Stallion Station. Uh, we have a practice in Brazil, which is actually contracting a little bit. And we also have a practice in Cypress, Texas, um, which is associated with the Navasota practice. We have a dental business that we're working on getting rolling. And then we also have a sports medicine trailer that we take to shows. Um, so it'll go to a jumping show or a rodeo or something. They'll sit there for about three weeks and work out of that. It's, it's a pretty interesting lifestyle for those guys too. Well, the good thing for me is I have no responsibility. just got all the accountability. So if anything bad happens, it's my fault. <laughs> well, there if you anything go. good happens, I don't get any reward for it. <laughs> the 
Stephenville practice here was was your idea and was your uh, endeavor, I guess, to do by yourself. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, the way it worked out is that 20 years ago there was a pretty strong western and cutting industry around Abbotsford and Brenham, um, and that was you know part of what we did. Um, as the Weatherford in area grew and those guys started moving in from California to here, a lot of guys from South Texas moved up here as well. Um, I kept doing a little bit of work for him. Really, two guys in particular, one's Brady Bowen, who was already here. I started doing some work for him at a show. Um, started doing work for Terry and Bill Riddle at a show in Fort Worth, and so I met them. And then Eddie Flynn um, was with Ronnie Rice in Buffalo, which is pretty close. Um, and then he moved up here and went to work for Alice Walton, and I started doing work for him. So, you know, it was to the point where when we started, I was going to – I'd meet him at shows and work on the horses, and I'd come up here every two weeks and spend a couple, three days. Uh, we'd crash at Eddie Flynn's house and – if you ever get the opportunity to have him make you a Bundaberg and Coke, I probably wouldn't partake in that unless you feel like you need a hangover the next day because it's pretty heavy on the Bundaberg. But that's Less a, on the Coke. That's a, whole, <laughs> that's a whole different story. <laughs> but it got to the point where it was twice a week, and we'd leave at 2 o'clock in the morning from, from home, and I'd get home like midnight, 10 p.m., um, and after about a year of that, we decided that it, the best thing for everybody was just to start a practice up here. So um, Dr. Steve Russell owned the practice that we're on now. Um, and we shared some clients, so he was wanting to get out of the business and sell out. So we bought the practice from him, and it's worked out pretty well. So what were your, I guess, basically your goals were to be closer to the action, more or less. I mean, you had a lot more customers, and you were gaining business up here. And, and the move made sense because then you were going to be centralized out of here, and it was going to be a lot shorter drive for you then. Yeah, I think uh, – Quality of life was a little bit in that just because of the hours I was putting in driving, and it seemed kind of ridiculous to do that anymore. Um, I like the area a lot better, and I will say that Morganville, Texas, is pretty awesome. If you're going to raise kids, it's way better than Navasota. Not saying anything about Navasota because that's where I grew up, um, but the quality of life here is, is much better. And really, when we decided to move, I didn't have any idea what we were doing or what we're getting into, um, and the business has just kind of took on a life of itself, and it's worked out. <laughs> Worked out really well for everybody, I think. Very well. I mean, that's a testament to my father because he started the whole thing, and we just continue the legacy that he started, the way he runs his business, the way he runs himself, the way he treats people. It makes it easy to grow a business. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about carrying that family name as, as well as the practice name with you up here instead of maybe just starting your own business with its own name. I mean, it's a little bit of pressure, right, because he's a legend. I mean, in – when I was a kid, so when I was a kid, I went with him. My older brother and I went with him, I guess probably because mom wanted us out of the house on the weekends and in the summertime. So we just, you know, he he actually was the, the vet, on-site vet for a breeding farm in Navasota. He was that for a long time. And then, you know, when I was little, he was, I can remember ultrasounding things for the first time and taking certain, you know, the the change in the, quality and the techniques of radiographs taking x-rays and the, the medicine like he is truly um, a pioneer in equine sports medicine I can remember when I was little we'd go to A&M um, he'd take a horse up there with him that he didn't know how to fix get with the surgeons at A&M and they didn't know how to fix it either they'd make a plan on what they thought might work and they'd go do surgery on it and sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't but you know that's basically how those guys figured out how to how to be vets and a lot of the stuff that we do today, um, we take for granted is just standard procedure. Those guys figured out how to do it, which is pretty amazing, actually, yeah. that 
it's not that long ago. It's like 40 years ago that, you know, they were sorting all that stuff out for us to make our lives easier. Um, but, you know, the, the legacy of that, um, because we try to be open-minded and try new things and, and try to figure stuff out to help everybody out as well um, and offer that information to the industry and not keep it secret because that's what he did as well. Um, and I think it's, it's pretty important part of our business on how we handle that. The, the crazy thing is, like, he comes up here on Mondays and Tuesdays now and works in this clinic, and it's amazing the people that see him and know him. Like, I was sitting there looking at a horse, and I just over-listening to a conversation he's having with a client, and this client was from out of state. I think she was either Kansas or Oklahoma or somewhere up there, and she was in Stephenville for a rodeo, and she's like, oh, my God, you're, you're T-Bone Buchanan. <laughs> he's like, Yes, ma'am. You looked at my horse like 25 years ago, and I brought all the way from Wyoming, if you look at it, and you were the only guy in the world that could fix it, and you fixed my horse. It was amazing. And she just went on and on and on, and the guy that I was looking at the horse for is a pretty good friend of mine, a nice guy. He looks at me and goes, is, is that your dad? I was like, yeah. Do you think I could meet him? <laughs> like, yeah, man, you can meet him. Give me just a second. Let him get done talking to this lady, and then you can go meet him. It's pretty cool. It's been a pleasure to get to meet him obviously doing business with you for 10 years like I have you sent him over to my house when you were busy and and just to listen to him talk about all the advance in medicine that has taken place over the past 40 years like you said and, yeah. and just listen to the you can tell there's just so much knowledge up there and 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 he's just he's one of a kind I've I've enjoyed getting to know him and and listen to his stories because he's got a story for everything yeah, thanks for telling your story <laughs> but it's it's been an absolute pleasure to get to know him. So I I feel the same way, except I didn't know he was that <laughs> He's a important. Rock star. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you you got to get the same thing right because you're following your dad's legacy and following his footsteps, saying in the NCHA in the cutting industry. So a little bit, kind of the same thing. Trying to, yeah. <laughs> so how has it changed from 2006 when you first bought the practice and got started up here in Stephenville until now? Man, I would say that if you I should have. I wish I had taken like an aerial picture or drone or something like that back then because the the facility that we have now is, is so amazing and so blessed to have it. We started out with six stalls on a lean-to on the side of, of an office that had a set of stocks in it in a pharmacy, and that was it. And now we've got we'll four barns. Like, I don't know, we've got probably close to 80, 80 to 100 stalls and pens that we can house horses in in a you know, surgery room with two recovery stalls in it. And it's it's pretty amazing just the quality of care we can give horses and the work that we can do and just the size of the business, right? It was me and Dr. Russell from day one. Um, and now we've got four vets, probably need six. Um, but, you know, that's a, whole, that's a whole other can of worms to try to figure out how to get that done. Dr. Stroh told me that you four vets do the, do the work for about six vets. We so. probably do. Yeah, we probably do. <laughs> Are you still a general hospital that focuses on everything, or have you kind of merged over to the sports medicine side of things? So I'd say that a little bit of both, right? We, we do work for anybody that walks in the door. I'm not going to turn them away. I'm not going to not do something. It may not be me because there are people in the business that are better than me at certain things. Um, but over the years, we've tried to work it to where we have people who are specialists in things. So we have equine dental protection practitioners, um, that do the dentals for us. And we have sports medicine guys that do most sports medicine. And we have um, Dr. Christine Book runs the hospital and takes care of their internal medicine cases. And she does most of the repro that happens here. So we, it's focused. Um, probably 75% of the work that we do here is sports medicine. Um, but we do a little bit of everything still. 
Do you think that the growth of this business has happened because of where you're located and, and the amount of different horse disciplines? Yeah, I think so. I think that we, we <laughs> I wish I could take credit for locating this practice where it is. Um, but it just happened to be here and worked out really well because we're close to Stephenville, 10 miles from Stephenville, right? Cowboy capital of the world. Every rodeo person comes to Stephenville for the winter. They either go here or they go to Arizona, right? So there's plenty of horses here to look at year-round. Plus, it's 25, 20 miles from the Weatherford area, which has, a, you know, cutting horses in. Now they're getting to the rain cow horses, and there's a lot of things there. So really lucky there's a concentration of horses, really dense population um, to support the practice. Um, you know, there's also a lot of competition with other vets. So there's plenty, there's plenty to work for everyone to do. Um, but if you want to do a certain thing, you got got to get them hustle up and do a good job. I know um, the basis of of your clientele has started with NCHA and cutting horse people, and and that was one of the main reasons that you had moved up here. How long? I know you've been also a player in helping the NCHA perfect their drug rules, and how long have you been doing that? That's an excellent question, and I. Like how long that's been? It's got to be five years, I guess, we've been working on it. The NCHA's been working on it for six, probably. Um, pretty interesting process to go through. Um, I think the NCHA's done a really good job of the program they put together. It's not perfect, um, but I think the intentions are, are really good and everything we're trying to get accomplished. What was your reason or goal for putting yourself on that committee to help the NCHA refine their drug policy and – how has maybe your mindset changed since before being on the committee to now after have been on it and dealt with it for six years? Well, I think the the important thing for me when I put myself on that when I put myself on the committee, my goal was to keep the psychotropic drugs in the NCHA um, because I think that there is a definite benefit for the horse if you can give them something to help them function better in a loud noises in a crowd intense situation because cutting is different than any other discipline right because you are asking the horse to work by itself basically um, so that horse has to be really focused um, at the same time really athletic and very cowy and dynamic and that's a hard combination to get together at all at the same time um, and what the NCHA has done, what the cutting horse industry has done over the years is bred horses that are um, dynamic and athletic and cowy and work great, but not necessarily calm. So that's where the psychotropic drugs came in. So we, I started in this and uh, volunteered our practice's time to do the initial testing that we did at the NCHA. So for the first, I think, two years, we collected roughly 300 samples. Um, and tested them, sent them into the lab, tested them. We donated our time for that. The lab donated their time for that. What we found out was less than 10% of the horses showed at Fort Worth with a psychotropic drug on board. Um, and the main thing that they had was very high levels of non-steroidals, butbanamine, um, ketophen, equiox. And what that told us was that um, the contestants didn't understand how to use those drugs very well, didn't understand the importance of those drugs and um, how to make it most effective. And that the psychotropic problem was way less than anybody thought because if you'd asked anyone in the NCHA seven, eight years ago, 
they'd tell you half the horses at Fort Worth got showed on Guanabins or Sedivet or Demosedan, and it's way less than that, less than 10%. Um, and I would say it's less than 1% now. Um, so I think that my attitude has changed that you can't convince the public that that's a good idea, um, ever, right? So uh, if you remember Eight Bells, she was a, a mare that was in the Triple Crown, broke down on the track. Um, There's a big to-do about that. The Jockey Club did a lot of research on it, and they what they found was 80% of the people on the street didn't differentiate between butte, which is basically Tylenol for horses, and morphine, or or uh, Winstraw, which is anabolic steroid. They don't drugging horses are drugging horses for them. They don't care what you gave them. You give them a shot of B12, that's illegal and bad as far as they're concerned because they don't understand. So convincing the general public that giving those horses something is a good idea is really hard to do. And then the backyard people fall into that category. And then you have to put up with the USSPCA and PETA and the animal rights activists. So having an effective drug program is really important for the NCHA. And not using psychotropic drugs is probably important as well. Um, that being said, it's a little disappointing that there are drugs that we can't use because of public opinion that are helpful to horses, right? There's no reason that chlorpromazine, which is a cousin to acepromazine, um, you can't use it. Um, it's very safe, very effective. It doesn't, it's not as numbing as ACE, has the same effect on their brain as the ACE. Um, but it, and it's disappointing you can't use that. But I, I understand what we're trying to get done. Um, I would say Lindy has done a really good job of organizing that. Um, I don't think the communication with the public and the, and the members has been, always been great, um, but their heart's always in the right place. Um, and I think as we go forward, the communication gets better. Everybody understands the rules. Um, and I think what's going to have to happen is you, we're going to change the breeding program, right? You're going to have less really hot horses um, because the alternative is you drug them or you loaf the crap out of them. And neither one turn, is good for the horse. Which in turn makes them need more yes. Tylenol or butyrbamine. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so the, the whole point is to have a, a fair program um, that's effective. And the welfare of the horse is the primary goal. Um, and I would say that my time on, on the medication committee, um, the number of horses that I would consider showing sore has gone way down. That you don't rarely see a horse that limps around in the loping pen before they go show. And the number of clients who are willing to scratch a horse um, has gone way up. Right? It's, it, before, it was not a frequent conversation like, well, let's just scratch him if he's going to get hurt because he's got a whole year ahead of it. Right? Um, now it happens all the time. Right? If he's too sore, he won't show him because like, we're going to go to the next show. I don't want to hurt him, which is the whole point. Right? And that's what we're trying to get accomplished. And I think they've done a really good job of that. I also think another common misconception in the drug committee and, and the way the rules were coming about was – that the NCHA was trying to outlaw your buttes and your banamines and, and your drugs that make these horses feel better, which really it was not. It was more to give us bylaws and guidelines to follow and, and to stay educated, but also to deflect the heat from organizations like PETA that think that we have no idea what we're doing and basically are just kicking on these horses with sharp spurs and jerking on them with big bits and, and don't really think that we have the horse's welfare in our best interest. Well, the other part to that that I'm trying to get across, and that is difficult, is that I don't want to have a drug program like the AQHA has or the racing industry has where, where you're running around trying to find 
whatever new drug they're using, right? Mm -hmm. Because in the Western pleasure industry, in the racehorse industry, the best shooter wins. And that's given fact, right? And that those guys in the racehorse industry, for example, um, not all of them, but a lot of them, the ones that win, you'll find a, just a, a random trainer all of a sudden starts winning, right? And then six months they figure out what kind of drug he's using, and they don't win anymore ever again, right? So I don't want that for us. I want us to have a reasonable policy where if you do get – if you, you can have some leeway on the drugs that you use to make it safe for the horse and safe for the rider and beneficial to everybody. If you're similar to everybody else, right, there's safety in numbers. So – if your policy is similar to AQHA, similar to the USEF, right, they're gonna they'll help you out if PETA starts chasing you. And the NCHA is not on their radar right now. I like to keep it like that. Right? We don't want videos of, you know, some guy drugging the horse and it falling down before they go show it, like the having the Western pleasure industry, right? You don't want that. Mm -hmm. and we and we don't have that. Um, I like to keep it like that, so we don't need any incidences. And I think that um, the way that the the welfare committee runs itself and handles that kind of stuff is is great, right? Something bad happens, they come take care of it. Like, was it the super stakes when the cow got hurt? I've been to futurity. Anyway, like they they handle that perfectly. I know everybody wasn't happy because they stopped the mill the bunch, you know, got the cow out of the pen, and it kind of disrupted everything. But that's the appropriate way to treat that. And I think that as long as we handle ourselves like that, we're not going to be on the radar. You don't have to worry about it. Not necessarily a popular opinion. Because a lot of people would like to keep using certain drugs, but you just can't, right? Just no matter how right it is for the horse and the rider, it's just not going to survive in the world today, which is, which sucks, right? Um, but I think it's the reality of the world, right? And I think if we keep a low profile, I think we can survive it and not have to, well, I mean, they're, they're going to soon pass a national organization, the operated by the federal government to regulate the racehorse industry. And we don't want that. We don't want the state to tell us what to do. We don't want the federal government to tell us what to do. We want to be left alone to do our thing in the way we see fit. As long as we take care of our business, we will. Amen. There you go. That's my soapbox. I'll get off of it now. <laughs> so what were some of the things that you found in your research? So the main thing we found was stacking, um, which we can talk about that for about five hours if you like. But the short version is is that um, you can't give two non-steroidals at the same time. Mm -hmm. So you can't give butte and banamine. If you gave a half a dose of butte and a half a dose of banamine, you know, my impression, and there's no scientific backup to it, is better, right? I think it works better because they work in different ways. If you give a full dose of butte and a full dose of banamine, you're overdosing that horse. And if you put that horse in a compromising position, it's hot, they get dehydrated, you give them 10 cc's of butte, 8 cc's of banamine, you can cause some kidney problems. You can cause some colitis. And <clears throat> that's the intention of the policy is to avoid that, right? It sucks that you can't use both in half doses, but I think we've proven that the human race is incapable of policing itself. So if you allow both of them, they're just going to give full doses of both of them, and it's not the best interest for the horse. And the other thing we found was that people were giving butyrbanamine as they went into the arena, which is not the, the best time, really, is about eight hours out. Mm -hmm. right? It's most effective. Yeah, you get the you get a buzz from banamine sometimes. Mm -hmm. and I think people confuse that with effectiveness, and it's not. It's just a buzz, right? They they give start feeling better. Yeah, they yeah. feel better. Um, but okay. the pain killing effect and the anti inflammatory effect is really eight to twelve hours, and not you know not four, not even thirty minutes. Right? It just it doesn't work as good. And that's that's what we really found was that you know most people gave butte right before they went in. 
So kind of switching gears here, but tell us why you and Jeremy started the Brazos Valley Stallion Station in Stephenville. So there's two reasons. One is that you look around and there was a, a space for Western Performance Horse Breeding Farm in Stephenville, mm -hmm. in this area. Um, and there's also air, a, a room for a breeding farm that is customer-centric, right? Most breeding farms and most, honestly, breeding vets, their focus is on getting the mare pregnant. And communication with the client is not top of their list. So um, the other part to the reason we started is because I don't like doing breeding work. So before we started, I was doing a lot of breeding work. So I'd palpate four or 500 mares a year and plus 30, 40 embryos. And it's not really something I enjoy at a high level. I like it a little bit. I don't like it a lot. So if we had a facility that could do that. I didn't have to do it anymore. So I could find someone to do that for me. So we, Dr. David Ricks came up. We got the um, breeding farm going. And it is blown up like crazy how successful that has been. And that, I mean, honestly, because Jeremy Barwick is on the same wavelength as I am as far as customer service goes, and that's the reason that it's so successful, is we just do a better job of taking care of the clients and everybody else. So not that we always do a great job. I mean, this year we were so busy, it was pretty crazy. Um, but it's been successful, and it makes me happy that I don't have to palpate mares anymore because <laughs> there's two things I start my year out trying not to do. One's floating teeth, the other one's palpating mares. So. The last two years, I've successfully avoided floating any teeth. I have palpated a few mares here and there, but I can live with that. Plus, the other, we also have access to stallions, right? And I've never been pushy about recruiting stallions, um, but I always let people know that we'd love to have their stallion. That's a conversation I had with y'all. Like, I, we didn't try to recruit you really very hard, but I really like that horse, and we'd love to stand him. And I just made sure that Rotten knew every time I saw him that just checking how things are going. If Mattel's cat's, you know, going to make a move, we sure love to have him. Just let me know how, what we could do to, to help you out. And we did. We did. He's <laughs> one of my definitely top ten favorite horses of all time. He's cool. <laughs> and he's, he's pretty crazy because he is the same horse he was when he was two. Yep. He's just kind of a little jerk most of the time. Yep. And, like, we check him on a regular basis. So with the breeding farm, we'll get him out, move him, flex him, trot him, make sure they're sound. And, you know, John Wold, who runs the stallions now, has done an amazing job. He he hovers a little bit, he's like to the point where, hey, man, I think this one, he looked at me a little sideways this morning. He thought, I think you better look at him. So we'll look at him. He still slings his head and knickers and prances when you flex him and trot him. It's pretty funny. That's never changed about him. That's I've also enjoyed going and visiting him and seeing the same thing. I mean, he's still the same horse, and, and he enjoys to just be your friend and – Yep. Yeah, he is a little bit of a handful sometimes, but... Not in a bad way. He's a breeding stud. He's just happy to be alive. <laughs> so you mentioned John Wold and you mentioned Jeremy, but the other thing you mentioned was customer service, and and I think that's something that you get from both places, whether it's the practice here in Stephenville and, and, or the breeding farm in Stephenville as well. So tell us about why you've stressed that in both places as much as you have oh i mean it, that's an easy one right because you got to to be successful you have to give great customer service because the nuances and the fine points of veterinary medicine doesn't mean a lot to most people if you do a surgery 
and they see the incision, they don't know what you did inside the horse, but they know if the clip job's even and the incision looks good, and they think you did a good job. And the horse is going to get sound one way or the other. There's a lot of competition. There's a lot of really good vets out there, so you have to differentiate yourself some way. And we chose to do it by customer service, and really that's because of my dad. Like That's the legacy is that we go above and beyond because the success of our customers is most important to us. Right? If you focus on that and you're a quality veterinarian, you're going to be successful. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you do in life in any way. If, you're, if you give good customer service, you're going to be successful. So that's just because Jeremy had that same focus, the reason we partnered with him. Um, and we all understand how important that is. I mean, it's pretty crazy to think that. Like, so it's Sunday, right? And I'm looking at horses at the clinic on Sunday afternoon, which is probably not super healthy. Um, but I feel obligated to my clients because a lot of those horses, we actually bred the mare. Right? We conceived them. We fold them out. We've worked on that horse until they get to go to the show age. So that's, if they go to the futurity in the cutting horse industry, it's four years old, four years. We have invested time and money and effort, blood, sweat, and tears in that. And I feel an obligation to make sure that that person and that horse has the best shot it can to be successful. And I think that's what separates us is that first and foremost, uh, I want them to be successful. And your success comes secondary to theirs. And the people in the businesses make it work too it's not just me so i mean you got to have support staff that don't mind getting up at four o'clock in the morning and going with you and don't mind working till 10 or 11 o'clock at night right and the the people we've had come through this business over the years is they're amazing right? they're amazing and the people that we've recruited to be in this business are amazing so i mean all all three vets besides me that are here were recruited over a number of years to come here right i mean to I recruited, literally recruited Scott Strohschneider for 10 years before he finally had a weak moment one day, and he's like, like I, I would talk to him at least once a month because we, we met in vet school, got to be friends, and we would talk every month or two. In the last 10 years before he came here, I'd talk to him once a month and compare notes and see how things are going. And one day he's like, God, man, it sucks up here, man. The economy sucks. Practice is not going great. He's like, you think about moving to Texas? Oh, I might think about that. So got a plane was in Ohio the next day with a contract in my hand, and we sat down and went to dinner with his wife and hung out for a little bit, and, and about two weeks later, you know, he moved, right? It worked out really good for us because he's got the same mindset is that he puts in the hours, he's available, and the good thing about him is that if I'm not available, he's available, and if he's not available, I'm available, and there's no ego there. We don't get mad if I look at a horse that he's been working on or he looks at a horse I've been working on. You know, Ricky Osterlow is the same way. He, he was worked for us when he was in vet school, he went back home for about five years, and I would talk to him every now and then. And then, you know, one day he's like, "Yeah, I think about doing a little more horse work." I was like, "All right, when you want to come, right?" So when I moved up here, was about the time that he got tired of doing mixed animal practice and wanted to go do horses. And he's been here. And then, Dr. Christine Book, she's been here. She worked for us in Navasota, and then her husband and her moved off like all over the country until one day she's looking for a job. She's like, "Come on back." So and purposefully pick people who aren't like me which works out well because not not i'm not a hundred dollar bill right not everybody likes me <laughs> so they like stroh better than i like ricky better they do they work different um they're all excellent veterinarians and they all understand what we're trying to get done how has dr osterlo's job title changed now that he is the head and you've kind of taken a step back well i tell you it's uh it's definitely a little more stressful 
He's got a lot of responsibility, right? Because I don't think there's probably close to 40 people that work here, right? And their well-being is your responsibility. You got to make sure the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, the business works well. You've got to handle the conflicts that come up. You get to celebrate the good things. You got to take care of the bad things, right? It's pretty nice not to have to worry about that. Yeah, still, still do, right? Because we all help manage the business. Because you know Scott, Ricky, and I are all partners. Uh, but he's the primary guy, right? If something bad happens, he's got to take care of it. So I know it's stressful, and I know it's draining sometimes, and it sucks sometimes. But you know the benefits on the other side—they're probably worth it. He's a little grumpy every now and then. <laughs> I don't blame him. Obviously, you have many irons in the fire. We've listened to that <laughs> here today. Um, but tell us about uh, your family and and your wife and your three daughters and and how much they help you and allow you to do the things that you do. Oh, well, I would say that my wife is amazing that we went we were in vet school together <clears throat> that's where we met um and then once we started having kids and we moved up here um she hasn't gone back into practice and she actually started her own home bakery business and is crazily talented um and way better person than i am and hasn't complained about the hours i keep in at least five years so we used to have disagreements about three times a year, and that always seemed to coincide with the shows in uh, Fort Worth because it's a lot more taxing on my time then. Um, I think either she got understanding or she gave up. I'm not sure which one it is, but we don't argue very much anymore, and she is amazingly supportive. Can't talk about how awesome she is enough, and I'm definitely married up and a very lucky man to be married to her. And um, I have two two girls, Camilla and Corinne, um, and they are smarter better looking and more talented than me which is every man's goal <laughs> so well, they i mean definitely got more hair <laughs> they definitely, yeah, that's not hard to do <laughs> they have, they're 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 amazing i mean they're so talented in their own way and um, the the best thing about them is they're amazing people they are kind and considerate to everyone not just the people that are they deem as important which is is really cool um and it's it's actually fatherhood is better than I thought it would be different than I thought it would be, but it's so rewarding, right? It is just amazing to see them grow up and they're 15 and 13. So they're teenagers and you hear about all the horror stories about having teenagers and, and they're just not like that. I mean, they're just, they're, they're so considerate and great people. What's the favorite, your most favorite thing that your wife bakes? Uh, the crazy thing is, so I would say it's molten lava cakes, right? The little cupcakes that have the soft center in them, but she never makes them because when she bakes, she bakes for money. So she so, doesn't bake for us. So you have to go buy it if you... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess I could put an order in, couldn't I? <laughs> so as we've seen that you have two very, well, probably more than that, I'd guess, but uh, the veterinary practice is a very large and successful one. And uh, you also own your own horses. And what goes into that? I mean, you work on other people's horses all the time. Why would you want to own your own horses? Uh, that's a good question. I don't really know the answer to that. I guess it's just uh, everybody has a, a vice, right? And got to spend money somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah. A bad thing happened to me 20, 18, 19 years ago. Um, 
Barbara Schulte is a client of mine, a friend of mine, great, really good, great trainer. Um, and uh, Iron Rose Ranch had a horse that um, bred really well, uh, plain stylish mare, had a big cyst in her stifle. So she went for a pre-purchase for a lot of money, um, didn't didn't pass because she had a cyst in her stifle. And this is before digital x-rays and all that stuff, right? So um, once she flunked, Tom wanted to just, he wanted to get rid of her, right? So I said, fine, I'll buy her. There's nothing else. I'll make a broom out of her because she's bred good enough. Um, I can't remember what marriage she's out of. A really good marriage. This has been so long ago. Did surgery on her and actually fixed the OCD cyst in her stifle, put her in training, tripled my money. I was like, man, that was easy. <laughs> so I've been trying to do that again ever since for the last 20 <laughs> years. And it had, it, sometimes it works out pretty well. Sometimes it doesn't. I, I like being in the business. Um, I think it's important. I can support my friends, and I got guys that, you know, I can trade training out for veterinary work. Um, Eddie Flynn and I are partners on most of our stuff. And, you know, he's one of my best friends. You know, he does a really good job. I think he's probably one of the best trainers out there. Um, honest to a fault. If he tells me horse is a piece of crap, it's a piece of crap, and we'll find somewhere else for it to go. That was my next question was about the Country Boy Syndicate and how that came to be. Well, that's a – we were trying to figure out a name for our partnership, and, and about two years later, after many different discussions about it, we decided to call it the Country Boy Syndicate. So it's a, a little country and a little bit uh, um, mafia-like because it's a syndicate, so <laughs> off we go. You also own a couple barrel horses. Um, explain getting into that field and and owning barrel horses and and why you decided to do that as well. Just own one, and it's it's a stallion, and it is oh breeding I mean, business. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not terribly successful yet. He's he's really well bred, really nice. He's actually a pretty good horse. So um, Carlos De Silva Bungal and I are partners on him, um, and he just needed some help managing the horse and. The veterinary work and and all that stuff and i'm very particular on people that i partner with and the good thing about the guys i partner with is that we don't argue about who has to pay for something we argue about who gets to pay for something um, and he falls in that category and he's a good friend of mine and um, so bought half the horse hasn't been super successful yet um, but i think we're going to get there how old is the horse six and how's he bred he is a streak of flame out of Firewater Fiesta. So, I mean, she's like the greatest brood mare of all time. Um, he got the embryo when they sold that mare to the Brazilians. Um, and he bred her to Streak of Fling, got the embryo, and we have the only n- not Roan Gray son or offspring of Firewater Fiesta. So she's gray, stallion's Roan, he's sorrel. Wow. Which is about my luck. <laughs> Because color sells, even though I'm not a big fan. Like, I just want a good horse, and he is a good horse, but he's just sorrel. With the derby coming up, talk to us about a normal day during the NCHA events in Fort Worth. Uh, you know, <clears throat> I don't know if there's ever a normal day. You just kind of take what comes. So, th- basically, I'll try to end my day doing my regular stuff around 3 o'clock. And we go to into Fort Worth and take care of whatever needs to be taken care of in there. Sometimes there's emergencies and we'll go in early. Uh, but a typical day is the normal work schedule, get all that done, go to Fort Worth and see what we've got to get done for that. Um, and, you know, make sure the horses are healthy. Um, we'll have clients that we do work for when they're there that are out of state or out of town. 
Um, so we'll stay pretty busy. And usually, you know, typical day we're done 8, 8.30, back home at 9. So it makes for a long day. It's kind of a grind because there's no days off. You work seven days a week. Um, and the good thing with having Stroh around is that we can, you know, if I got to go do something or I need a day off, he can cover it. He has his clients in Fort Worth that come in to see him. I have my clients in Fort Worth come see him. But they're happy to use us if we have to. That's kind of a sentiment sentiment in all of the equine industry of no days off. Yeah. I mean, Most of it. When the, yeah. Yeah. Like, I understand <laughs> that show is a grind for everybody. <laughs> yeah. I'll say, so Mackenzie, who works for us, and she used to work for Sean Flynn, um, she told me during the Super Stakes, I think, she's like, you know what? I thought that working for a cutting horse trainer was the worst thing you could possibly do during a show. She says, and, and I've been riding you for a week, and I think this might be worse. It's because you, there's no break, right? You start at 6 a.m., and we go till 8 p.m., and there's no break. You don't get to stop and have lunch. You don't, you know, amateur showing, so only one horse to get ready today. You got the stalls clean. We go take a nap. There's none of that. You just work all day long. And I, it's not the same kind of work. Uh, but it, it is definitely, it's a grind for everybody. And you can see, time that show's over with, everybody's ready to go home. Yep. Well, with the very limited free time that you have, what are some of your hobbies? Well, I'll say the bio on the website is probably not very accurate anymore because <laughs> right now my hobbies are whatever my kids are doing. So a lot of that is softball. So they're both into softball pretty heavy. Um, we don't do a lot of equestrian activities, which – um, I would say it's disappointing because um, they we're going to let them do whatever they want to do. And uh, my parents never pushed us to do anything. Um, we're going to treat my kids the same way. And they don't want to play softball anymore. They're going to find something. They have to do something. They can't sit around the house. Um, but so softball is important and cheerleading is important. A little bit of basketball thrown in there, which is pretty good because I really like basketball. Um, and then landscaping is what I'm doing. So we're finishing up a landscape, build a house. It's been, I'm not going to tell you how long because it's too long to not have it landscaped, but I like to, to do that. I don't like the maintenance, but I like the building part. So that's about it. Well, I, kn- I do know that you're also a very good cook. I've came over here for the BVH Christmas party or New Year's party or whatever it is and had some of your crawfish. So. I, do, I learned how to cook because I like to eat. <laughs> so when I went to college, there's no one around to feed me unless you went and bought it or you cooked it, so I figured out how to cook. So I do enjoy cooking, and I enjoy eating more. Don't we if all? you ever saw me, you look at me, you can tell I like to eat a lot. Another thing that you and I have had multiple conversations about is sports. Um, I know you and Ricky used to be on a basketball league. Yep. Uh, what what sports are you into? Well, I do play, we play fantasy football. I've been in the same fantasy football league since 1995. So you guys were still keeping stats on pen and paper back then. Yes. It wasn't on an app on no, your phone. No, there was no app. <laughs> they even heard of an app back then. There wasn't even a computer program for that. Yeah, so it was all handwritten. It's pretty – and that, I enjoy that because it's the same. You know, there's probably five core guys in that league and the rest of them come and go, but they're, you know, good friends of mine, and it, I enjoy that. I used to play a lot of basketball. Um, got old, had to retire, and some of it was – physical and some of it was just I just sucked right? <laughs> and when I when I used to play a lot I used to play in in city leagues and I was in a league with some friends of mine in Houston before we moved up here that's probably 35 and we played this team and they're all like 
late 40s, early 50s, and we beat the crap out of them. And I told my friend, I said, I'm not going to be that guy right there. Right? I'm not going to be hanging on, still trying to play when I'm 50. And one day I'm like 45, and I'm play, we play with a bunch of team ropers, and they're all younger than me. And so Ricky and I, he's a lot better than I am. He's, he's still pretty athletic and not as crippled up as I am. And I'm trying to run around and catch these kids. So if I can ever get a hold of them, I'm, I'm pretty good because I can mash them down and do bad things to them. But I just can't catch me anymore. It's like, God, this sucks. And it dawned on me. It's like, dude, I'm that guy. I'm that guy <laughs> said, uh, that sucked, right? So I'm just so – and it, the, the pre-medication and the post-medication that I went through to play one day a week was pretty um, unreasonable. So I decided just to retire. That's when you joined the Weatherford Softball League, and then you you don't have to run that fast. And Man, they get in too many fights. I can't do that. <laughs> That's too dangerous. Are there any – Teams or schools graduated from A and M. Are you super fan for any one of those uh, teams? I, I've never ever really understood that. I mean, so my I root for the University of Texas, which is weird because I went to A and M for eight years. There's a big but, hatred there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's their big rival, right? And um, my mom's father played football at University of Texas, and he was a four year All American. And Sports Illustrated had their 50th anniversary, he was the top 50 All-American college football players of all time in that issue, right? Wow. So, he, like, he was legit, good. And so, as long until he passed away, we went to every single University of Texas football game that was played in Austin every year. Season tickets, 50-yard line, and we went. So, I grew up a Texas fan, so I just kept a Texas fan, right? Because that's the way it goes. So, I root for them. Um, I'm not like a lot of people – where it ruins my week if they lose. Like, it's just a football game. It's going to be okay if they lose. So, other than that, I don't really have any loyalties or allegiances to any any other sports teams. I heard you got tickets into the VIP section of Pat Green at the Twisted J the other day. How did you get that worked out? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if it's legal or not, so we might have to delete this part later. But I had to make a campaign contribution to Cody Johnson. He's running for state rep for our district. He also owns a Twisted J. So I made a phone call, asked how much money I had to donate to his campaign to, to get a better seat so I didn't have to hang out with the regular people. So he told me he'd move me upstairs if I make a small contribution to his campaign. So I do, and I did support him before that anyway. Um, good guy, and he's in the horse industry and would be a benefit to the horse business if he was a state rep in the state of Texas. We always like people supporting cutting, especially when they're in high-level positions like running for state representative. So make sure you go out and support Cody Johnson. Are there any stories or maybe horses that you looked at in the past that stick out in your mind and, and you always remember that situation or that story and and remember that horse for whatever reason it may be? There's like really cool horses I worked on over the years, like mm -hmm. important horses and not important horses. Like it's just weird how I get to um, – my favorite horses, like there's a, a barrel horse that uh, Molly Powell actually, so she's been in the finals several times, very successful barrel horse trainer. Um, and she bought him for her son. Um, and he was one of my favorite clients horses because a little girl owned him and she rode the tar out of him. He won everything there is. He's got to be 25 years old now. Just a cool horse, right? Cool horse. So um, he's one of my favorites. Mattel's cat. Like I just, I like it is interesting to see if you don't spend a lot of time around horses, you don't understand how intelligent they really are and how much 
not sure the emotion's the right word, but it probably is, right? Like, those horses are smart. Like, metallic cat, for example. Like, that horse is so freaking smart. It is amazing, the stuff that he knows, right? And you spend time with those horses, and especially the, the ones I get attached to, like, we do a lot of work on them, right? Boone Sand Kitty, Metellus Cat, Metallic Rebel. Like, those horses, I really like them. Like, uh, Mo, that owned by Mary Berger, barrel horse, spent a lot of time with him. He's really cool. He's a lot like Metellus Cat, right? He's kind of a jerk sometimes. He jacks around a lot. Right? He's hard to work on because he's always just prancing and throwing his head around and right, being a jerk. But the really cool horses, right? you can tell, you can tell when they're two-year-olds that there's something different about those horses, right? They've got whatever it is, they've got it. Like Metallic Rebel, I walked by a stall one day when I was at Bogan. I was like, what horse is that? He goes, that's a Metallic out of Sweet Albert. I'm like, don't cut that one. Like, I don't say that very often, but don't cut that one because he's, he's the one, right? And, he, man, he is an amazing horse and a cool horse at the same time. I can't even begin to fathom the quality of horse flesh that you've looked at over your lifetime with being closely related to a lot of big equine industries in our Western, Western way of life. And, uh, I don't know how much reach this has in the vet community, but if there was somebody listening to this, that is an aspiring vet, is there any advice you'd give them? I mean, the job sucks sometimes. Like you have, you, you don't always win. It's just like anything else in life, right? Um, some, some things you just can't fix them, no matter how bad you want to fix them. I mean, it just doesn't work out. Just do the best you can and, you know, enjoy the wins and, you know, lick your wounds when you don't win and make sure everybody's taken care of. That's a big amen to that. Well, Charlie, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking time out of your Sunday. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Yes, sir. And uh, we'll probably be seeing you up there at the Derby. <laughs> probably every day. Yeah, probably. <laughs> All right. I see me in my new vehicle though, undercover. Yeah, a little change from the old, yeah. old three quarter ton. An SUV. <laughs> little don't, mom, don't mom tell car. <laughs> yeah, soccer like mom car. Soccer mom car. All right, Charlie. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we appreciate everything you guys do for the equine industry and NCHA, and also the Section K podcast. Likewise, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thanks. And that's a wrap. For this week's episode of the Section K Podcast, sure do appreciate you guys listening, following along, tuning in. It means a lot to us. We're just a couple guys in here trying to do our part and help the NCHA grow. And, and you guys listening and giving us feedback is is a big help and, and really keeps us going. So thank you guys very much. And don't forget to reach out to us, Facebook, Instagram, email. If you've listened to this episode, you probably listened to the previous however many it's been, so you know how to find us. But if it is your first time listening to the Section K Podcast, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Section K Podcast or in our emails at sectionkpod at gmail.com. We look forward to seeing everybody at the 2019 Summer Cutting Spectacular in Fort Worth, Texas at the beautiful will rogers memorial coliseum just a little public service announcement in case everybody forgot it's july we're in north texas it's hot make sure you drink plenty of water stay hydrated another little pro tip for you don't forget to turn on those air-conditioned seats those are probably one of the greatest invention and they were invented for a reason and for a season and that season is right now 
So make sure you guys turn on those AC seats, drink plenty of water, and we look forward to seeing you guys at the Derby. Derby.